On this episode of the Last Thing Podcast, we're going to be talking about Ori and the Will of the Wisps and Doom Eternal. Hello and welcome to another awesome episode of the Last Thing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Toffee, and joining me is... Uh... Shafiq. <laughs> of back. course, of course. So, I don't know, did you seem to lose your sense of humor considering the last few days of It's been a real downer for the last few weeks because ever since uh, the coronavirus had decided to strike uh, a lot of the movie releases and a lot of the other stuff that we wanted to cover, that's been cancelled. So, like, you know what? In the spirit of practicing social distancing... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this, mean, is, this is actually kind of welcome, to be honest, in a way. So, I'm kind of taking the good or the bad here right really? now. Really? Nah, yeah, mean, yeah. For me, as a very uh, reclusive and very antisocial human being myself, <laughs> I've been training for this day all my life. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like another Tuesday la, for you. It's like basically, oh, everybody should stay home, uh, cor- self-quarantine, practice social distancing. It's like, oh, okay, ni- my time to shine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so here we are. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Last King Podcast. To all of you out there who are now suffering from uh, stay-at-home orders, self-quarantine and whatever aspect of the coronavirus has affected everyone around the world, you know, uh, our, you know, our thoughts are all there with you. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to be a struggle for us as well because uh, in terms of content, uh, things are going to be a bit sparse uh, over the next coming weeks since so many things are being pushed away. I mean... Uh, at least for the movie side. At least for the film side. What are you most disappointed in getting pushed away? I'm actually curious about... Uh Mulan and Black Widow for some strange reason. I, mean, I kind of wish they were coming out like soon, but instead of like much, much later. So I'm, I'm just super disappointed that they had to push Quiet Place 2. I was really looking forward oh, to that. Oh yeah, that one. Yes, yeah, yes. Because the trailer looked pretty badass and mm-hmm. I was really interested to see where they would go with this because in the trailer they did show that they were going to expand on the world a little bit more. Yeah, that would be kind of cool to watch. Um, unless somehow... Nah, I don't think they're going to do this, like, you know, release a movie just straight to digital. I don't think they're going to do that. That is actually the way to go because with streaming platforms such as uh, Amazon Prime, I mean, Prime Video, Netflix, is like, why not? Because I think it's mostly box office numbers. That's what most people who produce these films are more concerned about. Like the offline ticket sales, right? True that. And especially those, uh, I mean, that's all marketing and that's all reasons for you to, you know, keep your industry aligned. Uh, we should definitely do an entire episode where we talk about the film industry and how tickets actually make more sense. Yeah, yeah, it uh, does in the long run per se. Uh, oh, and speaking of stuff getting released online, apparently some movies that came out two weeks after, they're actually uh, on your streaming platform, no, sorry, on your digital service uh, stores right now, like uh, Onwards. I think you can find that on Google Movies or PlayStation movies or something, you can get that right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, a movie that we kind of, we didn't sleep on, but we missed reviewing was The Color Out of Space, the new HP oh, Lovecraft yes. movie, yeah, which yeah. came out on digital very recently too. And I don't oh, know. Oh, Invisible Man as well too. That wasn't too bad. Yeah, that came out from Warner Brothers pretty early too, after yeah, two weeks. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we'll be saving this for an all special Halloween quarantine episode in future, I guess. But yeah. uh, you know what? On the light side of things, thank God for video games. Yes, yes. And yep, uh, you can't stop video games from coming out. And what better way to spend your time in self-isolation than to finally hit that backlog (laughs) that you've been building up. You know, for all you guys out there who still subscribe to Humble Bundle and have like about 200 games that one day I shall attempt this. Or you know what? Also the perfect time to finally get those achievements that you've been sleeping on. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, I finally got a copy of the PC version of Strider for 2014. I've been meeting the that um, I heard it wasn't too bad I played a little bit of the PS3 version but I didn't like the frame rate for that and it felt very choppy so I didn't actually get to play the PC version until like now uh, because of the Humble Bundle deal let me just say one thing uh, it's not that good oh really? <laughs> it's okay. fine you know what I mean like, more I like mediocre not like yeah. mind blowing like Strider 2 or Strider 1 uh, Strider 2? Strider 2 was kind of sucky, bro. <laughs> I really? Didn't like wait, it wait, that was, that was the one from Capcom, the one with the really flashy art style and the 2D, 3D hybrid. Thing. Oh, you mean, oh, that's Strider Arcade. 
the, the, yeah, the, yeah, that's Strider too. I'm not talking about the shitty US gold Strider. That was yeah. shit. <laughs> that was garbage, man. I mean, yeah, because that's what I was thinking of. Because no, no, no. I think it's Strider two, the one from Capcom, from the, the actual developers, the true Strider sequel. Yeah, yeah, the one which, based off the Strider from the Marvel's Capcom game. You know, his new art. I know, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, uh, that was good shit, man. If you want to get the definitive version, get the emulated version. <laughs> yes, that was good. Yeah. That is uh, one of the, one of the best platformers I've ever played, and. Speaking of platformers, segue yes. this. Yeah, yeah. We've actually recently played a particular platformer game that came out a cup a week or so ago. Ori and the Will of the Wisps, the sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest. We're going to call it Ori 2 because it's much shorter. And uh, we played tried quite a number of hours of it. It's basically like 12 hours worth of Metroidvania-style platforming. And what are your thoughts, Shafiq? Initial thoughts, right? Uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps is hands down the best Metroidvania all time. Right now, there I said it. It's it's beaten Symphony of the Night. I mean, as much as people love Bloodstained, which came out last year, to me, I thought it was like, all right, it's basically a spiritual successor and nothing more. Yeah, it feels more like a throwback game than anything else. Not like a evolution or a push forward. It's more like it's staying at that same spot and it's happy doing that. Yeah, I mean, I would say Bloodstained is a game that definitely survives mostly on nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ori and the World of Wisps or Ori 2 is definitely the logical step that all Metroidvanias should be taking because by God, uh, the amount of depth, challenge, the exploration, all oh the options. Oh my God, the exploration, yes. Yeah, and uh, I would say this, right? I slept on the original Ori uh, in the Blind Forest. I have two copies of it on Steam. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the the regular edition and the, the so-called... Oh yeah, the definitive edition. They added the... the dash in that version okay yeah so it's basically Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 I guess (laughs) yeah yeah I mean more like Sonic 1.5 if that makes sense because it's just the same levels but some new ones yeah and um, I mean it was you who recommended it to me that yeah this is the kind of game you would definitely enjoy and I've never had the opportunity to ever launch it in fact I had to play other platformers because of the podcast unfortunately Uh, and I would say this right um, maybe as a person who's played both games is it necessary to be playing the first game um, in a way, yes. Maybe just to see how it all pans out, like how it actually started, just to see the exploration and how the traversal things were done. Because I feel that in order to appreciate Ori 2 and its changes, you gotta go back to the first original one and see where it did a lot of things right and some things could be improved. Ori 2 is definitely a huge, how do you say, um, yeah, it's a very good improvement that basically, basically succeeds over the prequel. Uh, because again, it's a bigger game. A meaningful bigger game, added combat, um, and even the new traversal mechanics they added in, like the burrow dash through the sand and um, the grappling. You know, when you see the plants, use the hook thing. They added a lot of like new levels. How are we going to test the players? We're going to have a bunch of segments where if you fall out once, you get eaten by, you get destroyed by the water or get eaten by a sandworm. So they have a lot of levels where you know we're going to have you play around a bit, and then when it comes to a chase scene or a boss fight with a chase scene and whatnot. They'll start testing you, and that's what I appreciate about Ori 2. That just like in the first game, where you don't have a life system, you die, you just go back to the checkpoint, easy. But you gotta be dying a lot of times at a lot of seconds. Oh yeah, you will die a lot. Yeah, I got yeah. my ass that's properly what I handed l- to me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I love about this game. Like you don't, I mean, you don't need a life system. You just need like just just a properly made challenge, and then when you succeed and beat it, like a Dark Souls game, you feel very rewarded just getting through that hurdle. I would say, yeah, I totally agree with you because the motivation to play something like Ori in the Will of the Wisps is like, it doesn't do the bullshit super meat boy thing of forcing you to start from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and something that I think a lot of these kind of, uh, you know, very hardcore platformers try to do is they overemphasize the challenge by making it too old school, whereas Ori feels like a game that is definitely designed for modern gamers. And it provides the same kind of old school challenge because I would say like this is Mega Man three levels of how do I <laughs> yeah precision basically how like, do I land on that platform and how do I dash jump whip through and like oh and also glide don't forget glide and yeah. the timings necessary and I would say this like uh this is one of the few games that it's, it's been a while that this has happened to me that I couldn't put it down. Like when I was reviewing, when I, usually when I review games, I always do it in like sections. So like you know, I get to rest a little bit. But especially uh, once you start hitting certain boss areas, and when you start hitting like getting new skills and like 
allowing them to unlock different parts of the map previously. Like when you get that hammer, you can start breaking walls and seeing where else you can go and opening up all these new options. And then yeah. it definitely caters to the to the exploration element, which was what why I say this is one of the best Metroidvanias ever. Because Ori Part One to me felt more like a, a straight up platformer with slight Metroidvania elements, whereas I think this one took. Uh, like like what you said, it whatever improvements it needed to make, it probably listened to a lot of the critiques and a lot of the feedback. And oh man, not only did it deliver, but it gave us a game that I think um, is easily contender for game of the year. Of oh my god, I year. totally agree with you on that. Um, I think one of my favorite parts of Ori was um how it leads you at the start, like the very start where oh you end up getting a torch, you get chased by a wolf. But everything you explore or go down at, like it just opens up, like one big circle. It kind of makes sense about with all the skills you get, and it's also very easy to miss some things, which I also like because the game doesn't tell you what to do, but you just figure out some things here and there. Like, I mean, the only help you get is like, here's a new ability, do this, that's it, and then you figure this stuff out as you get out of the crawl space you're in, you get through the bosses or get through like the escape zones or navigate like a watermill area or the swamp. And then when you get certain power-ups or you actually get the water untainted at certain areas, you open up another section, which again, how especially when you get to the areas too, because Ori moves like a dream. You're the, the, the main character himself, like from the jumping to the air dashes and the grappling and even the bash attack, which is hands down one of the best moves in the game. It's the go-to thing to use because that bash attack will save you from so many situations <laughs> because not only can you kind of parry all these projectiles but it's uh, a way of traversal that if you don't explore properly uh, you'll definitely not be able to see the full extent of what this game has to offer. Yeah, I think that uh, achievement where you can complete the game without dying it's definitely possible with the bash attack. Yeah, but also the caveat is uh, they didn't say which difficulty setting you should set it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, play it on normal. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Play it on normal, you know. I mean, if you want to beat it in under four hours, yeah, you need to find uh, the, the, the quickest way to whatever. And I think that's what this game does because it allows a certain amount of replayability. Mm-hmm. And Oh, I it's think built for speed running, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, one day I shall try to attempt it. But man, it took me... Uh, 12 hours to beat this game and the thing is I made the mistake of like trying to be an asshole and playing it on hard first <laughs> oh man things one shot you so easily oh, so exactly, I would say right? like, for, for all of you out there who are interested in getting Ori and the Will of the Wisps uh, if this is your first platformer slash Metroidvania start on normal and just uh, take your time yeah yeah and then uh, also another thing is uh, I mean I, I don't want to overstate the challenge too much but I would say this. Uh, this is like Shinobi on P- PlayStation levels of fuck you hard. Oh, PS2 <laughs> Shinobi, right? Oh, yeah, damn. that's good stuff. <laughs> it's yeah. like you know, like that was the last time I remember. Like, okay, you, here's a boss battle. By the way, there's no floor. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, even I, better. Uh, when you're fighting the spider, he yeah, you get you have his attacks first. You gotta get intuitive how his animations work, and then there's a chase sequence, and then you. If you fall down, fall behind, yeah, you're dead. One, one hit death. Yeah. Can I, okay, since you brought up the spider fight, can I also mention one of the, the most glorious aspects of this game? What? The music oh for the spider God. fight was some of the most inspirational and emotional, like, soundtracking so ever. And it was literally the music that kept me from not giving up that spider battle. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, the, the third phase when it starts getting more uplifting uh, with the theme, when, right? When it gets super operatic and then you hear all the, the, the orchestra going full at it and it's like, yeah. I just remembered I, it was like 3am at night. I was at my 10th attempt. Serves me right for playing this on hard. Fuck me. <laughs> yes, it's very tough. And the thing is, right, if it wasn't for that for that gorgeous background music, right, it's like I would have quit immediately and decided, okay, maybe another day. But somehow, it's just like, I've never had a video game's soundtrack uh, emotionally manipulate me in such a long time where it was literally as I was there like you know uh, bashing between projectiles and just trying my best to like land a perfect spear on that the spider's face oh, and it's man. like I can't give up I need to save the forest yes <laughs> my friend's <laughs> in trouble yeah, I need yeah, to yeah. I, I like you know Ku Ku needs needs my help I can't give up and it's like exactly yes <laughs> and I, I, I thought to myself it's like oh my god I can't wait to play this game all over again yeah, uh, I would say this. Yeah, uh, besides the challenge, besides the platforming, besides the level design, God, gorgeous level design. Oh my God! Yes, mm. yes. Like everything opens up. Like 
just seamlessly like the a really well done Metroidvania title. I mean, a, a, an exceptional Metroidvania yes. title, and it doesn't have the kind of flatness like something like Bloodstain would have. Yeah. And I didn't actually feel very repetitive playing this because, again, like we mentioned, the traversal, the jumping, just makes that's the beauty of Ori Two itself. Like when you're moving around, it feels like a work of art, especially when you go through some of the stages where it's like five screens high or so, like the big ass areas, like your grove or like the that area after the swamp or even the. Oh, there's even like a stealth section in the game too. I kind of forgot about that. That's also kind of cool. Oh, we're adding in like different challenges here and there. You're hiding from the the giant, well, the giant owl, owl yes, owl yeah, yeah. slash whatever monster that is, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and okay, so everybody here on the Last Game Podcast knows I'm not a fan of story in games. I love the story in this game <laughs> because, because it doesn't get in the way. I mean, exactly. again, you can skip it, but you can. It feels like it's in motion. It feels like it's part of it with the art and the music and everything. It feels mm-hmm. like cohesive, you know. I mean, not only cohesive, but actually it does inspire you to move forward because I would say this, uh, there's a certain charm to the character design and also not only to the level design, but to the way that the world is presented to you as um, explorable or like, like the more you discover about it, the more interested I became in it. And uh, when you meet, start, start meeting other characters, and you start meeting those cute little mokis. Oh, the mokis! Oh, they're so adorable. <laughs> I want, I want a moki plushie right now. Yes. Moon Studios, get us one if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, uh, we'll buy it from you. We'll buy it yeah, from you. We'll get one, sure. Uh, and I would say this, right? Uh, I think what Ori does is um, it does stimulate player growth, which is I think very much missing in a lot of modern video games where it allows you to play a game any which way you want and to try so many different things. And I think that's what a lot of people are kind of worried about when Ori was uh, pushing towards having a combat system. Yeah. And like I did not expect that Devil May Cry style combos would be the one thing that was missing in an Ori game. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it actually does help keeping Ori up in the air pretty long because there are some areas where there's so many spikes there's an enemy in the corner throwing fireballs at you. Yeah. You gotta bash, attack, stay, go up again, back and forth. It's all part of like the plan itself, like, like to make sure that you're you're good when you get to these later parts of the game. I mean, I would also attest it to the fact that I mean, like like a great uh like like, like the classic Mega Man games, you have to strategize, you have to yes. plan your movements, and I think I mean that's why I th- think that Ori definitely respects the players mm-hmm. because. Uh, as much as the game is it's not totally impossible I mean it's not Super Meat Boy to the point of being unfair where it's all about hitting the spot and getting the exact amount of momentum for certain situations yeah. where you have to learn to to play the game their way this game allows you to try different things and find what suits you best and what suits you best is usually what works which is something that m- a lot of these uh, uh, like difficulty platformers, right? Like they kind of miss the point on. It's like w- why I didn't like Celeste so much is like, okay, uh, it's a very basic platformer, and you have to hit like the the levels a certain way, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it repetitive. Whereas something like Ori, it's like, okay, if this route is too much a problem, go the other way, go the other way or grind it out level up somehow or find more items and then yeah find more upgrades you mean yeah find more then, upgrades and skills and then when you come back then you realise oh, okay don't. so this is how I approach it because there'll be a lot of uh, moments in the game when they'll present to you like okay uh, there's an item right there but you know it's hidden underneath this sand pit so what do I do so it, I mean it always constantly reminds you and it keeps it consistent because mm-hmm. it doesn't make things too obtuse where once you discover the the, speci- the specific power-up or ability or weapon necessary, and it, it, it doesn't feel like, okay, it's only for the sake of this level. No, no, it exists everywhere. So yeah. there's always ample times to, uh, to practice and not only that, to really nail it. And then there's always that lovely section after you gain a new ability. All right, okay, here you have to use it in this very specific uh, section of the world. Here's the test. Yeah. Okay. Y- you should have nailed it by now. Especially like, I would say, when you get your, uh, when you dig through the, the, the sand. The sand, the, the burrow ability. Yeah, the, the sand, sand burrow. The sand burrow, sand drill ability, right? And then when you have to do the worm boss battle. Oh, yeah, that's very, yeah, that one, you kind of have to be a bit precise with how you yeah. launch out of the sand because if you mistime that press, yeah, you're dead already. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what's the genius of this game where it's like, it doesn't punish you 
but when you die oh, wait. or when you fail it is your fault and it, it doesn't it, it doesn't rub your face in it it's just basically okay try again yeah and, and the checkpoints are very generous per se like i mean that sand burrow thing only takes you about like maybe a minute plus like that just to get through everything you but start at the beginning tr- but it's fine yes a lot a lot about how 20. many tries <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly yes for you to nail that very specific jump hit the vine jump through the next sand part go straight up avoid the snake go through the, the 360 through yes. the sand and you gotta catch that that vine just in time before yep, the guy yep. cr- climbs up the gate. or that sand uh, rock thing that's suspended you have to use it to go through to get that trajectory out you know yeah, yeah. yeah. so I would say this uh, th- this game is definitely a masterpiece oh my god yes yeah. there is nothing I can complain about and that's very rare <laughs> when yeah. it comes to modern video games yeah. did we talk about the graphics because damn this game is beautiful <laughs> oh wait yeah, I have something to complain about. <laughs> a bit of the bloom can be a bit annoying. Ah, yes, the bloom. Yes, yes. <laughs> but generally, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's yeah, it's great. It's gorgeous. It's yeah. it's that perfect mix of cute and creepy, and also, uh, it adds to the charm. Definitely, the world seems very much fully fleshed out, and it mm. seems very unique and original in its design and its conception, and also in its execution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly. I would say, uh, when it comes to the bloom, it's 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 just a nitpick. That's the one thing I can think yeah. of. I got another complaint though. Um, oh. When I was actually testing this on the Xbox One, I, yeah, there was actually some slowdown going on on the original console. But when mm. I played on the PC, it was fine. There was a bit of a sound glitch, but it faded away as I played like two, three hours into it. So did you, did you play on the Steam platform? Or did you play on the Xbox? I played platform? it on the Xbox uh, platform. Yeah. Uh, but on the console itself, there's a bit of an issue. I hope Moon Studios fixed it by the by now, okay, by the time this podcast a, is out. There's definitely a day one patch that came out quite recently. It did, it did. But I tried it again. It see, it's the slowdown is still kind of there, but they did improve mm. on the sound and everything. I mean, I only had one glitch where I spawned inside an area, which is inescapable, and basically, I mean, it didn't totally ruined the experience I mean I just need to reload the previous save oh what I like about Ori's save system um, when you open up one option at the start of the game you can have like there's actually so many save states from when you save previously from the checkpoints mm-hmm. so that's always helpful in case like let's, let's just say you don't want to actually go back to one part of the game you can actually go back backtrack a bit yeah I think I, I think it's what you said where this game is totally designed for the speedrunner in mind yes. and I can't wait to see what people can pull off and especially since according to the game developers is like okay there's an achievement for beating it in under 4 hours yeah. there's gonna be some asshole out there who does it in like 2 or actually maybe. there's one guy who finished it in an hour uh, there's a video out there I'll pass it to you later wait it's but with all the skills unlocked uh, no no he got some of the skills not all of them unlocked and it's yeah, possible. he exploited a glitch at um, at the part of the howler. There was a glitch he exploited around there. All right, better uh, oh, now's my chance to get an achievement before they patch that out. Huh? <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm definitely gonna be returning to this game. Uh, I beat it. I mean, I think my save file is basically I got all the items unlocked. I got all the map opened up, and it's only the very specific uh, I think combat challenges and those really ridiculous like don't die. Or don't don't ever touch corrupted water. It's been a while since I wanted to play something immediately right after beating it. Uh, I would say also this: uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps is a definite must-buy. Mm-hmm. I heavily recommend it. My last game podcast, and yeah, uh, I'm gonna start the year off with our first ever video game review by giving my very first ten upon ten. All right, awesome stuff. <laughs> I can't recommend this game highly enough. How about you, Mr. Toffee? Yeah, it's the same, basically. It's actually one of those game of the year contenders, definitely, for me. Definitely. I mean, as a fan who likes Symphony of the Night, maybe a bit of Bloodstained, Aria of Sorrow, and all the other Metroidvanias that came out, like Hollow Knight, this is a... I mean, I won't say it's a huge surprise, but it's a welcome, welcome, a sequel that deserves to be on the pedestal for 2020's finest. I would say this, uh, what it does best is it pays attention to what came before it I think it was definitely studying other Metroidvanias that came out in the past and other platformers and I think the effort from Moon Studios was definitely to take it to another level to another echelon mm-hmm. and they succeeded in grand in grand style oh my uh, god yes yeah and if anything I can't wait to see what else the studio does yeah I mean did they mention what their next project would be or did no, they no they yeah. have not mentioned anything at all like they're like after Ori 2 
whatever they do is up in the air. I mean, they might announce whatever they're doing in the next two, three years when they're ready. Yeah, but so but far, this is like their swan song to the series. After which is, and it's just two games. It's, <laughs> it's one very good game and one immaculate game. Yes! I think it's... I don't know. I mean, I'm happy how it ended and yeah. like, how they capped it off at a very fine note. So, oh, I mean, right. I, I'm sure I would like a part three, but at the same time, good job. Very good job for how you mm. did this. Exceptional work here. So, yeah, definitely. So, if you're stuck at home with uh, the coronavirus and if you're in self-quarantine and you have nothing but time, Ori and the Will of the Wisps will definitely... Uh, that's good 20, 40 hours. Even to get all the achievements. Yeah, yeah like 20 hours or so. Oh, yeah, 40 hours if you're playing the game again on hard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Don't make the mistake I made and try to play the game on hard, okay? It serves yeah. me right. Uh, but, yeah... Or in the Wild Wisps, uh, perfect score here on the Last Game Podcast. Heavily recommended. Yes. Okay, props to the people at Moon Studio for delivering definitely a masterpiece in the genre and for elevating the, the Metroidvania style of games to a whole new echelon. And if anything, uh, I am very much interested in what they do next. So I guess we're going to have to go to our next game coming up. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. a, a particular game from id Software that came out a couple of days Speaking ago. Speaking of a challenge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> better segue. That's a better segue. So, okay. Uh, from Ori and the Will of the Wisps to the bowels of hell <laughs> on Mars. From whimsical to hardcore metal. Actually, you know what? They're both kind of hardcore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In one way or another. Yes, But yes. I would say this, right? So, a game that I've been kind of looking forward to ever since uh, 2016. 2016. Yes. Okay, our very first uh, game of the year for this op- this podcast was Doom, uh, which came out back in 2016, which was the reboot that I didn't think I would enjoy so much. But not only that, it was a, a grand statement on the state of gaming and the FPS genre in general at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was bold, it was obnoxious, and it was like a, a, a tight fist to the jaw. <laughs> yes. And Doom Eternal, I would say this, in terms of gameplay, in terms of challenge, in terms of delivering what people want, it it does it again. I would say uh, Doom Eternal is definitely a very strong sequel. Now, I do have some problems with this one, and I will elaborate on that more. But maybe before I go into all of that, uh, Mr. Toffee, your overall impressions. Oh, I definitely love what I played so far. I mean, I finished the game on uh, regular, trying again, trying again with the on heart on like, uh, yeah, nightmare and whatnot. It, you're and doing nightmare. It no, no, <laughs> like, I mean, I actually play it on the um, regular mode, and then I'm playing it on the other so, difficulty mode later. So you're doing it on hurt me plenty, or you're doing it on ultra? Hurt, hurt, hurt me plenty. Yeah, the second one. Okay, hurt me plenty is definitely where everybody who's new to the genre should start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just want to see how the game progresses. Actually, you no, know, no. If you if you've never played an FPS before, just play easy mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely scales up. That's for sure. Uh, but so far, I'm actually enjoying a lot of the updates the game offers. Like, sure, the weapon, uh, what's that? The weapons you get are the same as from the first game, but some small changes. For instance, your go-to weapon, the super shotgun, which you get, um, I think about three, four levels through, comes with a really nice attachment. Like, how do you make this weapon so much better? Include a grappling hook onto it, so <laughs> which makes it all the more magical when you want to get close to enemies. Hey, all you Overwatch fans, around. yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that's even better when you actually upgrade it to the mastery mode, where if you get complete the mastery challenge, you actually get to inflict a bit of fire onto your hooks. So mm. when you set an enemy on fire, it drops armor, armor. Like you chainsaw enemies, you get bullets. You do the gore kill, you get health. And now if you set them on fire, when you hit them, you have armor coming out. So the way the game is built is a lot of the resources start out slightly aplenty and then it get and then it scales back on giving you the goods like halfway through the game to the point where you need to actually set your enemies on fire. You need to chainsaw them when you need to. And that's yeah. what I like about the challenge here. Like it teaches you, yeah. You need to actually press the R key to actually keep flame throwing those dudes so to get the armor. And uh yeah, there's a reason why your chainsaw actually starts off with one pip that refills, because you're going to need to be getting a lot of ammo. You're going to be spending through that really, really quick. Yeah. Especially if you don't know where you're shooting at or when it's your first time on a particular arena battle. I think it's very evident, especially if you play on Hurt Me Plenty, because I would say that I agree with you where there's a little bit of hand-holding in the beginning. And yes, every game should have a tutorial section because quality of life. Mm-hmm. And not only that, uh, you don't want to totally ostracize new players or people who are 
you know who probably missed out on Doom in the in the old days or even on the 2016 reboot and like you know give them an entry point uh, I on the other hand I'm not a fan of the update system or the upgrade system now I did mention that uh, Doom 2016 was my game of the year and that was in comparison to every other game that existed at that point of time now I feel that I would probably have to be start uh, I have a few problems with this and uh, I mean my review will definitely be as a person who is a fan of video games and who is pretty much aware of the trend in modern video games now but there is a small inkling of disappointment because to me it feels like Doom Eternal is sidestepping away from its actual logical next step because uh, when it comes to the updates and the upgrades right okay I wasn't a fan of that at all but it totally made sense because you needed a way for guys who were playing this on a console who were using controllers to be able to switch between weapons efficiently and that made or even sense. have options to change between like a mod mm. for one weapon or the other or so yeah I guess and it, it totally makes sense uh, and I'm not saying that this game suffers from console-itis it doesn't but it does cater to a very broad spectrum of who the audience is now I know a lot of Doom fans out there are pretty much not in agreement with me about the quality of Doom in 2016 but then again a grain of salt uh, I was comparing it to every other video game that came out that year and if anything uh, it was I would say one foot in accessibility and another foot in the old school hardcore FPS uh, mindset of you have to constantly be moving and it rewards aggression now Doom Eternal does that and it does it in spades mm -hmm. now one of the problems I have with Doom Eternal is basically it decided to add extra things that I didn't ask for, didn't need, and I felt not they're not detrimental to the game, but it felt like padding. It felt like stuff that they just needed to kind of fill the gaps between certain, uh, I mean, sections of the game. Uh, I mean, the first thing is definitely the new traversal element, which I'm not a fan of, and I think because it doesn't really add so much to the game or to any other aspect of uh, you know exploration I mean besides exploration I would say that yeah I'm not a fan of all these weird kind of Assassin's Creed slash uh, you think it felt more like a gimmick rather than an actual addition mm. to what I mean, the word the word isn't gimmick the word is like if you removed all of that this would be a much shorter game and I would have been fine with that but I think that maybe ID or whoever is in charge right now uh, they felt the need to make the game feel bigger than it was and one way they could have done it was to have more levels or more opportunities to like more corridors for shooting yeah definitely you know, and have like those amazing set piece rooms I mean one of the things I love about the level design in Doom is that all the major battles all the so called the Red Skull fights right yeah. happen in areas which these are amazing multiplayer maps and it feels that way like this is a great place to have a death match and it definitely trains you for that aspect of the online component and then what I kind of want to really complain about is that say you have this amazing firefight and then you take down a boss or two or you have this really excruciating, uh, excruciating section where like okay 10 Kako demons bring it on and after all of that right it diffuses the adrenaline so much when you all of a sudden have to oh I need to double dash slight hop onto that little uh, gymnastics bar to launch myself to that wall that I need to cling on and then I need to just jump and you got like that special wall I gotta do the donk like the yeah, donkey kong it, climb it, on it yeah and it totally slows down the momentum of the game for me because I think maybe what their mm, their thought process was was basically okay we need to have uh, this game instead of being like the kind of a barrage of like you know adrenaline and testosterone and just in your face action which Doom 2016 does in spades mm. they needed opportunities to kind of like okay now they, they it's a it's a dynamic that I think will make sense for a lot of people because okay that's your breath of fresh air right there yeah like a breather before you get to the hell the thick of it yeah. again so I mean this is me talking as an old school Doom guy as an old school quick guy I don't want that <laughs> I don't need any of this uh so that's why it, to me it felt more like padding it did, it doesn't really add to the skill set that you need because basically when it comes to the air dashing and the, the double jumping right and if you were to play this multiplayer don't don't, don't double double that don't double jump don't dash in mid air you're 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 fucking 
target. Yeah, you're a flying target. <laughs> you're you're literally a giant flying target. You know, you keep it on the ground and you keep it in their face. So it's like, but it also kind of makes sense. Uh, I guess for the console players because it allows them a little bit of maneuverability. Mm-hmm. Because I think what it adds to the gameplay, which has been sorely. I think is definitely a, a great inclusion in new FPS games, right? Is that that dash ability offers you a chance to sidestep. Now, if you're like an old school Quake or Doom player, it's like, okay, everybody knows the circle strafe technique and yeah. everybody knows it's like, especially when you play uh, games with physics like Quake 2, where basically, uh, you know, strafe jumping, body hopping, circle jumping allows you to maneuver around the game and makes you a harder target to hit. So like you couldn't do that with a controller. So you can't do that with a pad. Period. <laughs> you yeah. can't do that with a pad. And like I do not want to get into the argument where like okay, uh, keyboard and mouse over pad. Yeah, okay. But it is rather apparent when you see like gameplay footage. You can tell who's playing on a pad when they're moving kind of like <laughs> statically, you know, very rigidly. And then you see a PC player. It's like oh, he's moving around his head freely. You know, he's aiming freely. I mean, yeah. And the thing is, right? That's a that's a discussion that doesn't even need to be had anymore because yeah. we, the evidence is there. We can see the difference. Just look at any FPS Just go to tournament. YouTube. You're done already. <laughs> yeah. Look. Just look at any FPS any FPS game played at a professional level. Nobody uses a controller. Yeah. Okay, but uh, I would say this, right? So the thing about Doom Eternal is that it feels like it needed to add more to the accessibility rather than to the hardcore aspect. So what Doom 2016 does is it, it's a perfect marriage of these two elements. Like I would akin it to something like Street Fighter 4. It's kind of dumbed down, but also at the same time, it allows a whole new generation of people to get uh, into the games, right? And I would say this, right? Maybe it's also... Uh, in respect to the fact that the Doom 2016 probably didn't kind of hit the kind of numbers that ZeniMax or Bethesda were looking for. Mm-hmm. Because I think as much as it is a marquee game, especially amongst their FPS games, right? It's not doing Skyrim numbers. It's not doing Actually, looking back, I'm actually surprised it even came out at all because I just learned about the history of Doom. Like, it's nine-year nine year development hell. Like, before what we got in 2016, it actually ended up being like a... Call of Duty clone of demons per se, which was a and, terrible idea. Yeah, nobody would have bought that. It wasn't. It also was. A, it also was pretty bad at the time for its software because Rage came out. No one gave a shit. Um, John Carmack, I think he left around 2014 to. Yeah, um, yeah he was already on his way to Oculus. Yeah, yeah. So, its software was like, what the hell do we do? You know. So I mean, they, even the- they went on a wing and a prayer, and 2016 Doom came out. So. Yeah, I, guess it worked out. I think the thing about Doom, right, is that it suffered from a bit of a, I would say, an identity crisis. Yes, because yeah. like when the first video, when the first Doom came out back in the nineties, right, and you have to understand, like this game was monumental in changing the way people play video games. Yeah. Not it was, was like it, the first FPS everyone actually touched. I mean, apart no, from Wolfenstein, but it's this the was first the one that one. had deathmatch. It's yes. the first time where people could compete online or work cooperatively. And it set the precedent for much of uh, FPS games back in the 90s to the point where it became super impenetrable when we were entering the 2000s. Because it's like, if you start to play FPS games now, no way you can compete against guys who've been playing it since back in the day. Yeah, the Quake 3 or Quake 2 days. Yeah, like Quake. Quake, you know, Quake 1 was very inaccessible for a lot of people just at how fast it was. Quake 2 became even more inaccessible when they introduced elements like the railgun which could mm-hmm. kill you in one shot. And then, like, Quake 3 was probably the best way to balance all of it out in a way that would be, I would say, kind of noob-friendly. But also, again, uh, gamers back then uh, definitely had to face a much steeper learning curve. So when Doom 2016 came out, I was pretty much in love with the single-player campaign. I did not appreciate the multiplayer campaign at all. Because I would feel like, firstly, the loadout system just doesn't make sense. I think, uh, and a lot of uh, Doom fans were kind of complaining about that, where you were limited to like just two weapons during your deathmatch or your team deathmatch. And like another thing I need to complain about is like Doom Eternal has totally done away with the deathmatch. I mean, they only have one mode and battle mode, point, yeah, yeah, which is basically like you and a friend versus uh, another friend who's a monster or like. Oh, actually, two quickly. monsters against a slayer. That's how it works for this one. Like asymmetrical yeah. multiplayer on the deathmatch maps. Uh, the thing is, I mean, at, at the time we played it, we finished a campaign, I couldn't find a player to play this game with, to be honest. 
yeah, online for the I've past. I've been struggling to find people to play with. Also, I don't know if it's a server thing or I don't know if it's the it's fact that nobody's online. I think it's probably both. Uh, but yeah, Bethesda had some issues because when I open up the client, it says that oh, Bethesda has some error, so I cannot get into the game server or something. So I just mm. ended up just replaying the campaign again. Yeah, I would say this, uh, and I think maybe that's one of the things I really definitely need to harp on a little bit more about is that Doom to Doom's 2016 included the essential multiplayer elements. I'm a little bit disappointed that they decided to do away with what makes Doom Doom, which is the multiplayer aspect. There's no deathmatch. There yeah. for the first time in history, a Doom game launched without deathmatch. It only has this kind of weird like uh AVP alien versus like marine versus predator kind of mode which I guess is like it makes business sense because I think they're really latching on to the fact that they need this to be accessible. They need to do numbers. And especially nowadays when FPS games are kind of like unless you're a Fortnite or unless you're an Overwatch, unless you're a Battle Royale, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's steep competition. And I would say this, uh people, the kids playing Fortnite, the kids playing Overwatch, <laughs> they're not going to play Doom. Because unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think uh the I mean, not a detriment to every gamer or new gamer out there, but yeah, I would agree that it's a little bit impenetrable. Like, if you were to join like a quick live server right now, prepare to get your ass handed to you. And like, even with Quake Champions, where they decided to make things accessible by introducing the hero class system, uh, to allow like different ways for people to play, or I mean, just basically like, okay, uh, this is how we're gonna limit pros from. Overwhelming new new people, and and the backlash was apparent because Quake Champions didn't do the kind of numbers it did, and it's like I'm very much thinking that they they I I don't know if it's true, but there will be a Quake Champions two in the future. Oh, the, how long has been it out? It's been out for about four years or so, right? Yeah, I would say this, uh, and I think I don't want to say that it, it's it software neglecting its core fan base. But also at the same time, uh, they had to make some really hard decisions because it's either between getting people who play the game, which is a very specific number of people. I mean, I have to admit, uh, the Doom fan base or the people who religiously play Doom or like you know FPS uh, shooters of this ilk, right? Mm-hmm. They're not the same numbers as they were back in the day. Oh no no no! They have to. Yeah. I guess in a way. Uh, it software had to actually modernize their game, like how they did 2016 mm-hmm. Doom, but still put, like you said, put your put your foot in the old school way of doing an arena shooter. Yeah. In Doom Eternal, I think these traversal additions and that story and then that padded out campaign uh, was kind I, of I a necessary. Story. Story so it's like dumb. it's like a it's like a necessary evil per se lah because. At the same time, they want to make sure it's meaty enough to justify the 60 US you have to pay for this game, or the 80 thing you have to pay for this on PC or on consoles. And then it's a bit, but then you are right. It's very weird that the multiplayer is a bit skimp, you know, like especially when it's kind of broken and it's inaccessible at the moment. I mean, at this point in time, it's literally non-existent. So yeah. it also kind of makes sense because uh, as much as they're not paying that much attention on multiplayer, it kind of makes sense why they need to beef up the single player. And I do understand that with game development and with game design, is like yeah, we have deadlines to hit, especially if it's a triple A game and you have investors and people above you screaming yeah. for when is the product ready. Yeah, it was supposed to come out last year. Don't let's not forget that before yeah. it got pushed back. This to, was delayed, yeah. and um, I think what makes Doom Eternal such a disappointment that it to me was definitely two steps backwards, mm-hmm. and. Not only just two steps backwards, two steps backwards into terrain that was totally unnecessary for a franchise as iconic as Doom, because not only are they kind of neglecting the multiplayer aspects by not having deathmatch back or not having an opportunity for people to duel, uh, I mean like bring it back to the old days where we can just create servers. You know what I mean? Or like like I I do understand that now it's all about you know gathering data and using our servers to like you know facilitate all these games, right? Then, like you have problems with latency. Then you have problems with uh, people not being able to connect. You know, or then which like, Bethesda should have been on top. You know, since yeah. forever. You know, alongside it, software who should be working out these kind of kinks. Considering that, like we mentioned before, Doom has always started out as a LAN game, uh, multiplayer thing back in the which day, which survives as a an internet game because you also have to understand, like Quake, 
like the net code is hands down the best net code of all time. You have to I mean, guys, we were playing a 3D FPS game with Twitch reflexes and graphics on 56k modems. Yeah, was that was unheard smooth. of, man, dude. Very unheard. And I do understand that nowadays it's like, okay, uh, we need to push the graphic fidelity to like 2K or 4K because, yeah, we need to justify all these ridiculous Ultra HD TV purchases that people are making. But, I mean, like, for guys like me, when it comes to the graphics of this game, uh, I don't know because I usually turn all that shit off. <laughs> I want my frames. Like low settings, right? <laughs> like, whenever things that start to glow or things start to flash on the screen or like, you know, like, I'm one of those FOV 110 guys when I play something like uh. Doom. You need to be able to swing your arm like quick enough to throw a rocket into the face of that guy who's shooting at you from the right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say this, uh, Doom definitely is going through an identity crisis right now. And it's not a detriment to the quality of the game, not, not, not at all. But it is also, I would say, it feels like it's going in the wrong direction. And I think Doom fans especially, and fans of classic FPS games, right? I mean... We can have a bigger discussion where it's like, okay, how do we make things accessible for the new people, you know? Like, something like Street Fighter 4 is like, okay, uh, you can't throw a Hadouken, okay, learn to focus attack, then you can absorb it. If you don't have to jump over it, okay, or you can just block it, give them options, right? Because I think what Doom needs to do is it needs to have console version and pro version. It needs to be released as two separate things or two separate modes. And uh, something like Overwatch does this brilliantly. Where basically it knows how to marry a PC, uh, like keyboard and mouse versus controllers in a way okay. that I would say, because but the game is designed that way, and like to me it feels like Doom is heading in that direction, where it wants. It, I mean, I, it makes total sense because as a publisher, as a game developer, you want to make sales. You want this game to be as you want more as people going to your like your mm. iconic brand. I mean, Doom is a big brand that defined its software, so <laughs> it's started its software yeah, it's, yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean yeah props to Wolfenstein but no it was mother people remember Doom. Doom I mean there was a book called Masters of Doom not Masters of Wolfenstein right so. bingo okay yeah. Doom one of the greatest games all time all time and uh, I think in hindsight right like I was very much I wasn't apologizing for Doom 2016 I was definitely in favor of it being game of the year because it married accessibility and hardcore yeah, it's actually worked out well for what it was yeah. doing, like just an arena-based shooter with that old-school challenge and aesthetics per se. Yeah, and I also understand that when it came to the multiplayer aspect of that game, it was a little bit impenetrable for the new people. Yeah. And I think this is up to the community. It's definitely up to old-school Doom guys, right? And I know some of you can be motherfucking jerks, <laughs> okay? <laughs> if, if, if the kids want to come and play, teach them how to do things, okay? Yeah, yeah. Don't be an asshole, okay? Don't hog all the armor and spray them with freaking, uh, <laughs> like, rockets. Like, uh, but then again, that is every scene. Like, and we can't yeah, fix got, that. We all start off as scrubs, don't forget that. There's always going to be that one guy who either pushes us around or the other good guy who actually bothers to teach us yeah. so that we can be better and then teach other kids to so, be better I mean, at the like, game. The bigger conversation I want to have with Doom is definitely like, it's also a very strong statement on the state of the FPS genre in general in 2020. And this has been going on for the last decade. Mm -hmm. Because ever since games like Call of Duty and games like Overwatch and even like uh, Battle Royale shooters like Fortnite or PUBG or even Apex Legends have, have emerged, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the old school true Twitch reflexes, fucking run and gun FPS genre has been doing nothing but steady decline. And it's only being kept alive by a very core amount of people who still play in tournaments, people who still compete actively. I mean, and Quake I Live, I mean, sorry, Quake Champions and Quake Live is still around. So those Quake are the people keeping alive. Live is still being played to this day. In fact, there's servers running GL Quake <laughs> nice. since back in the day that are still alive today. And yes, if you're a new guy and you want to jump into that swimming pool, prepare for the sharks to eat you alive. Yeah. Sharks, <laughs> megalodons. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would say this, right? <laughs> Megalodon. <laughs> Understatement, you know? Okay, there's nothing worse than getting rocket juggled in quick one. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> okay, not only that, rocket juggle and then as you're about to hit the ground, they just lightning gun you before you even touch the ground. Like, yeah, that happens to people. Okay, and people have are playing at that level. So, I mean, I mean, the great thing about Doom is that it does everything 2016 does 
and it doesn't try to change any of that. What it does is try to add more things and remove certain things. So, I mean, I did complain about the traversal. I'm not a fan of the upgrade system because for guys like me, it's like I don't need one gun to do two or three different things. Just give me three guns. Three guns mm-hmm. for me to switch around or f- for it to determine my playstyle. I know it's very hard for guys on controllers because it's like you don't have enough buttons to map all these different weapons. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you need some way for them to be able to switch between things efficiently. Okay, so I get that. Which is why I'm on the kind of on the side of we need to release Doom as pro mode and console mode. Okay, make two separate products. Okay, Doom and the Doom 64 exists, but Doom One Final Doom exists also. They came out at the same time and oh yeah, Doom 64, right? Was it yeah. or Final? Okay, which just came out came out for Nintendo, which was like an upgrade from like Final Doom, but mm-hmm. not that much because I think even back then they realized that consoles were going to take over. In a way, because it's like there isn't a hardcore PC scene like it was like it is back in the day, mm-hmm. and yeah, times have changed. People move on, and we need to adapt. And I see that ID is very much keeping their eyes on where uh, the future of gaming is headed to. And I'm not saying that they're doing this to spite old school guys like me, because I look beyond all the hate and all the the bullshit flames. I mean, the they forums. still are calling the annual convention QuakeCon, so they're keeping their to their roots still, no matter what. It's just mm-hmm. like you said, they have to keep up with the times. Otherwise, did they keep doing the same thing with the same core uh, graphics yeah. and game gameplay over and over? They're gonna lose out to games like we mentioned, to PUBG games or battle royale titles, and I on mean, and so forth and so like forth. Doom will always be relevant, but unfortunately, it's like. I would say the equivalent of like going to a Grateful Dead concert, unless you were there back in the day, you're yeah. just watching old people do old things. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You know what I mean? And you don't want to feel out of touch with the current gaming situation. Mm-hmm. And a brand as iconic and as uh, I would say, you know, such a, a flagship brand like Doom, right? Like when 2016 came out, to me it was like, okay, this is probably the best version of this game available. It has a few problems, but maybe we can improve upon it. Mm-hmm. True and that, I true think that. also at the same time when the numbers came in and people were realizing like okay uh, what are the things about Doom 2016 that people like or don't like and it's not because the game is bad it's because modern gaming audiences have shifted in a totally different direction and it totally makes sense why Doom Eternal like again a lot of this as much as negative as it sounds right it's because I'm an old school Doom guy and I feel like okay I am losing something that is precious to me But it totally makes sense that if it inspires a new generation of people to play this game or to maybe go back to play to the like older a games. slightly faster Twitch shooter, like yeah. faster than Overwatch, but not as fast as you know Quake Live or Quake One, Two, and Three. Yeah, I mean, just watch any Quake One tournament. Okay, try to keep up with that. Yeah, shit. it's 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 pretty okay. hard. <laughs> yes. Okay, or I mean, like even Quake Two, when you see people freaking like when you play the edge and you jump from the elevator to the other side of the arena just to get the mega health before the guy yeah. reaches there. Yeah, shit like that is possible, and I would yeah. say that uh, it is in essence they are curtailing a lot of what made those games fun, ex- and I would say not say accessible, but I would say uh, I mean on the podcast I always mention that one of the criteria for me to truly rate a game highly is the opportunity for player growth. Mm-hmm. Like as I previously mentioned before in Ori and the Blind Forest, if there's opportunities for you to get better, to get good on your own terms. That is definitely the hallmark of a very good game. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not forcing you to play a certain style. It's forcing you to to look upon yourself and improve. Yes. So Doom Eternal does that already, but what else can they do? And it's, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much because it's like it may seem like I'm accusing them of running out of ideas. Mm, not particularly. Not, no, no. Not the case at all. Like no, no. to me, it feels like we need to try these things and see how people react to it. Mm-hmm. And I would say like Doom Eternal feels like okay, it is like you made a great first album, and here are some songs we're not so sure it work or not. Let's put them on the second album, put it out there, see how fans react. Okay, then you define your formula or you de- then you define your ge- uh, your direction. And uh, uh, do you I want mean, to also bring up like how I think there's a way for its software to make this game get its old school fans back, like. Through modding the game per se in the future, I think that is definitely the way to go because um, what made classic Doom and games like Quake so 
I mean, what gave them such longevity was the fact that the source code was available to the fans, which allowed us uh, to take the game and really fine-tune it, but not so much to fix the game, but to create new avenues and new ways to play. Because Team Fortress was a Quake mod. Okay? Counter-Strike was a Half-Life mod. Mm-hmm. And it, it created whole new genres on top of that. It created whole new ways to play. And it added even more people. Like, I would say this, right? Uh, say Counter-Strike is the example. Millions of people play it. I don't think even half of them played Half-Life. <laughs> yes, they played... More people play Counter-Strike than Half-Life 1. Okay, and I'm pretty sure that same number are not even aware that it was a Half-Life mod to begin with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like people who play Team Fortress 2 right now on, like, Steam, like, the very first Team Fortress was a Quake mod. Mm. Okay? And it was basically when somebody figured out how to add a grappling hook to Quake, and it's like, oh, hey, let's make this cooperative team-based capture the flag shit. And it's like, hey, you know, and there you go. You know, an entire new subsection of uh, games was invented and again it also makes business sense not to release such things because the problem with releasing your source code is then okay people have your technology now we can make clones because if you look back in the day right what was the most common word or common description of a lot of video games then Oh look, another Doom clone. Another Doom clone, another fighting game clone, so forth yeah. and so forth. So and like I get that maybe they're trying to protect uh their market share by not having this too accessible. And I did appreciate the fact that they did try to attempt some semblance of uh user generated content with Doom two thousand sixteen with their snap um that was cute. Snapman. That was actually, you know, a nice step. It was interesting, but it wasn't really what we wanted because I would say this, right? I don't think we'll ever come to a point where, especially with AAA titles like Doom, like even Skyrim, right? Okay, all the hoops you have to jump through just to mod that game. You know what I mean? Because it's like, if you want to play Skyrim vanilla, it's fine. And then, like, when people figured out the source code where they started, like, reverse engineering a lot of the the program files and then they started adding like ENBs and turning Skyrim into one of the most beautiful games ever outside of the studio's hand- handiwork. Yep. Even the studio had to respond with, okay, here's Legendary Edition with 2K graphics, everything's been fixed, we can do it too. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's like, it's a, it's a battle of like basically giving people what they want but also how do we still profit from it to the point where like we can't just allow people to make their own dooms because then why would they want to buy our doom? That is true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and like the even back in the days like when like John Carmack released uh, like the doom source code or the quake source code, right? There was, I think, back then a mutual understanding between the fans and the developers Yeah. because like John Carmack's entire deal when he was making like Doom like him with uh, John Romero Romero and the the legends right is like basically they just want to make high quality games Carmack was all about making high quality engines that could create worlds and he allowed people to play with them explore them and utilize them and manipulate them into interesting and beautiful and like crazy ways yeah it was definitely a different time when you know yeah and then that was the feedback that they got Yep. Like so now we know how to push it further. So like because if you were to look at like say Quake One, Quake Two, and Quake Three, right, the stratospheric jumps in visual quality between those three games alone. Yeah, within like a very short time frame, like three yeah, years. Like if or you look so? at Quake One, Quake One feels like a slightly better Doom 3D. Yeah. Then you look at Quake Two, and Quake Two looks totally mind-bogglingly different. Yeah. And then when Quake Three came out and introduced like bomb maps and shaders and stuff like, it's like a completely okay, different game, dynamic <laughs> lighting, you know, dynamic shadows is like, this is nuts. Like, and uh, I think it's also, uh, I mean, in regards to like how technology is nowadays, because you can't make games any more prettier. Mm-hmm. Like this is how it's gonna look like for the longest time. Like even if you try to go as lifelike or realistic as possible, we'll never be able to breach the uncanny valley in a in a in a way that will be enjoyable. Mm-hmm. True that. True that. And the thing is, right, the kind of horsepower in your GPUs necessary to run those kind of games is like, uh, yeah, we don't have enough teraflops to make the, the his 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 uh his bristly chin as accurate as possible. So we'll at least make the game load. Uh, instantaneously or like yeah. you know, really really quick at the very least 
so I mean Doom Eternal to me is basically a statement and I would say a timestamp on the dilemma that a lot of modern video games are facing like where do we go or is this even the correct path I mean we won't know until all the feedback's been gathered this game is very fresh so it's gonna probably take a month or so yeah I mean like I'm not saying that opening up to the modern community is going to save this game. I think this game is fine. It's going to definitely do numbers. It's been getting nothing but crazy, amazing reviews. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the basis of me like uh, bringing up these points is the fact that it feels like Doom 2016 was basically old school, new school, perfectly married. And now it feels like, okay, we need to cater to lowest common denominator, which is unfortunately how your company will survive. The more you copies you sell to the people who don't play games like Doom, the more this thing will still exist. And But I'm at least happy that they still keep the challenge level, you know, just... At least, just great. yes. Yeah. Okay, if you dumbed it down that much and made it yeah. easy... That's just dumb. <laughs> go fuck yourself. But, okay, I do have to complain about one thing. What? Nightmare is a little bit too redonkulous because everything is a fucking bullet sponge and I run out of ammo before I have anything to do. Ooh, yes. Especially when you fight uh, some guys like the Marauder who can block all your attacks unless he flashes green. Okay, yeah. if you're having problems with the Marauder, time your sidestep, uh, your dash perfectly. You have and to. All you need is yes. a super shotgun. Yeah. Lay two in and then jump around to avoid the dog. Uh, it's practice. Like yeah, I yeah. said, this game promotes player growth. It, But you will run impossible. out of bullets in the tougher difficulties and you need to start chainsawing like the other dudes to get the ammo, run around and so forth. Yeah, but I mean... Like, f- for me, uh, like the if you want to start on Hurt Me Plenty, it's fine. It's fine, and I, for me, it's, uh, I would say, yeah, that to me is, like, it's accessible. Mm-hmm. And then when you start going to ultra-violence, ultra-violence feels a little bit closer to old-school Doom, where it's all about, you really need to hit your, you can't spray and pray, you need to hit your shots. You need to conserve as much ammo as possible, and prepare to wrap up that chainsaw as, uh, like, the moment you have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and then Nightmare to me is a bit disappointing because it's like, okay, everything's just a bullet sponge. And then you run out of like, uh, like I would say the the creep, like the the smaller minions to like to recharge your ammo with very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be a lot of situations where it's just you and this random mid-level uh, monster that... Like the Doom Hunter or the... All right, all I have is my fucking shoulder flamethrower. What the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. I can't punch him to death, which is what you could do in the old games. Oh, yes. I actually <laughs> do like the blood punch, uh, you know, upgrade, basically. Mm-hmm. Charge it up, do the area effect stuff. Yeah, yeah. all the health comes out. I guess, uh, yeah. Uh, so Doom Eternal is recommended still. And... I mean, my final rating is like, this is definitely a 7.58 upon 10. I was kind of disappointed in the business decisions it needed to make, which I feel is necessary for the survival of the franchise. Unfortunate, but kind of have to be yeah. done. Lah. It yeah. kind of has to be done, but I totally appreciate the fact that at least there's still a division within Bethesda and Zenimax that are more or less trying to keep the franchise alive. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's 2020 and there's still a doom. So, you know, I'm extremely grateful. But you know what? Especially in these trying times where we're all stuck at home, hey, why not open the source code and try to make your own levels? <laughs> Or maybe release a DLC that has like a proper multiplayer mode, like Slayer versus Slayer, you know, like eight Slayers killing Fuck each other. Fuck off if it has to be paid for. Oh yeah, that would be bad. That would be bad. Do not make me pay for Deathmatch. Uh, okay? But that's Then I will definitely change my review. Okay. <laughs> I'll go as low as 6.66 upon 10 because I'm, a, I'm still a fanboy and yeah. I love this franchise. I'm going to be very generous here. I still like this game. I mean, despite the fact that maybe the story shouldn't be there prominently okay, or Okay, I didn't even argue about the story. The story is so dumb. It's dumb. It's meant to be dumb. It's like, why do you give Doom Guy a voice? He didn't need a voice for one thing. Yeah, like the first thing he says is like, I must kill, kill all the monsters. Yeah, That's yeah, not yeah. the Doom Guy. Yeah. You have no idea what the, f- the lore is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, to me, oh gosh, now I'm going to go on a whole new tangent where I'm complaining about the story. <laughs> the entire section where you're on the fucking Mars uh, in, the, in the space station. The one where you every- blow a hole in Mars, is it? With the gun? No, no, no. Before that, when oh, people before. are looking at you like, oh my god, it's the Doom Slayer. It's like, why the fuck are you trying to make the Doom guy look like Master Chief? <laughs> <laughs> But at the very least, the game is fun. So I'll give it that. I'll very much. It uh, very much. It's the still hyper frenetic FPS fun, amazing Uh, shooter action that I love 
and I also like the fact that the challenge is still there. They didn't dumb it down in that aspect. Mm-hmm. This game is designed to kick your ass, as all FPS games of that of that time and like, especially a Doom title should do. Mm-hmm. But fuck, don't give him a backstory. <laughs> the fuck, he's Doom guy. Unfortunately, Doom that's guy. the path they're taking. Uh, I'm gonna be a bit generous. I guess eight point five nine because. I think I did. I did enjoy a little bit of the platforming bit because it did not overstay its welcome. I'm fine with the break. Yeah. But I do wish the multiplayer was like beyond, like you know, the two v one thing they have. They better be the the uh, free DLC very soon because it's like if you don't give us multiplayer, like I'm very sure, like old school Doom heads will fucking riot. Yeah, they would. They would. You can't release a Doom game without proper deathmatch multiplayer or the ability to duel. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm still replaying this game. I mean, I'm trying it on like uh, ultra violent later on, and just trying to find all the collectibles here and there. No, no, just just do mission select. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, mission, yeah, mission select. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Good idea. Okay. Good idea. Oh, yeah. and also, what's kind of cute? They actually have cheat codes if you want to put it on. Yeah, but they'll block out all the slayer rooms. Yeah, the slayer rooms only. But you know, if you want to see how OP this guy can get, yeah, turn everything on, including the quick con mode where you cheer when you shoot someone. Or something. Yeah, I mean, I love this kind of goofy shit too. But then again, the console is there. Yeah. <laughs> release the release the release the console commands. Let let us play with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know unless of course you want people to really reverse engineer this shit. Huh? Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Doom Eternal, slightly disappointing. Still a great game. Uh, recommended, but with a grain of salt because if you're an old school Doom p- or Quake player, you will be kind of disappointed with the direction that Doom Eternal has taken. Mm-hmm. But if it's something you want to introduce, maybe your kid too. If you're like a guy of my age and you've started a family and you want to get your son playing games like Doom, you can start here, <laughs> and then you play Daddy's Doom. Oh, that's a man's <laughs> game. <laughs> Doom one, Daddy's Doom two. Quake. Yes. All right. <laughs> you still keep um, your floppiness stuff. <laughs> no, it's all on Steam. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking Steam, but you're dead. Floppy disks, sir. I'm nothing but a hard drive. <laughs> Uh, I think on that note, I think you can stop the show. Yeah, so tune in next week where we'll definitely be reviewing Resident Evil 3 and maybe Animal Crossing. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the worst pairing we've had in a long time. Or maybe we'll check out Bleeding Edge, the game, a uh, multiplayer game from uh, Ninja Theory that's out by the time this show is already out. And I would say this, uh, Last King fans, uh, thank you for sticking around with us and allowing us into your ear holes during these very trying times. And uh, also do remember to stay safe wash uh, your hands practice your wash social your distancing okay yeah. <laughs> stay online don't ever bother going offline unless it's, you have to do essential things and wash your hands yeah okay? stay all, the all that shit works that's a hashtag <laughs> yeah cause we're here in Singapore and in Malaysia it's like yeah we need to protect each other and protect ourselves okay mm-hmm. so uh, this has been Shafiq and this has been uh, Mr. Toffee of the Blind Forest <laughs> <laughs>